Life is hard, and then you die. Do you ever see that bumper sticker? Yep. We know that often life is hard, but for most of us, there's more to life than hardship and death. And life doesn't always have to be hard. And when we've been through hard things, with God's help, we can heal and recover. We can embrace more of what God has for us, and we can be more of what God created us to be. Last week, we started looking at the Beatitudes of Jesus at the beginning of the most famous sermon in the world, in Matthew chapter 5. There are eight things that Jesus says here that can bring you to blessing. Now, you might remember that we defined blessing last week as the, the word happy or happiness. You know, happy are the ones, blessed are the ones. It's a kind of happy that's not so much the in-the-moment happiness that, that just quickly fades away. It's a deeper happiness. It's, it's more like joy. Based on what we learned from Jesus in the Beatitudes, we're going to go through those eight things and talk together about how we can make some really good healing choices. So would you pray with me as we begin? Gracious God, we thank you for the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. We put our trust in you, as did the prophet Jeremiah when he prayed, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. We praise you because you are the infinite God, and you're worthy to be praised. You are all-powerful and all-knowing and ever-present. You're our creator and healer, and you are the faithful one who loves us no matter what. Lord, teach us and heal us. Reveal yourself to us. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, last week, the, the first choice that we talked about was from Jesus' first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the reality choice. The choice is to, to, to realize that I'm not God, to admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and without God, I realize that my life can be unmanageable. Anybody have any problem with the not being God part? Anybody here feel it's, it's hard to say I am not God? You know? Well, that, that's good. Yeah, no doctors among you? That's good? Yeah? Sorry, doctors. <laughs> Most of us can say, I am not God. My cat thinks she is God, but we're working on that. It's the second part of that choice that, that I struggled with, admitting that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, admitting that I'm not in control. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands on that one. I think that one's a little harder for a lot of us, is not trying to be in control all the time. It's killer. And it's, it's easy to become trapped by our attitudes and our behaviors, um, we are not God, but there is a God, and he's the God who opens the doors and sets the captives free. Healing choices is all about opening that door and walking into 
of fresh air and freedom. Galatians 5, 6 says, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Now, now that gets us to the second choice. The second choice this morning, and you'll notice this on your outline, uh, is starts with the second beatitude. And uh, the second choice is the hope choice. It's the choice to earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, that he has the power to help me to change. Uh, I want to put up this new beatitude now. This is Matthew 5, 4. And, and would you say it out loud with me? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If we were to translate that literally, it would say, happy are those who mourn. And, and then that makes me stop and go, wait a minute. Happy are those who mourn. There, there's something wrong there. There's something out of place. That uh, doesn't make any sense. How does mourning lead me to happiness or joy? How can mourning lead me to comfort? Now, as you think about it, and as you, you look at these Beatitudes and spend some time meditating on them, perhaps you'll see that, that maybe Jesus' path to comfort and hope is a little different from our path to comfort and hope, at least the way that we would choose to do it. In fact, they might be two entirely different paths. Truth is, I, I don't want to mourn over my life. I, I don't want to feel bad about my faults. I, I don't want to acknowledge the pain that I've been through. I don't want to dredge that stuff up. But the minute that I acknowledge that they're there and I begin to mourn for them, then God has the opportunity to do something very special in my life. That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing God's path to comfort in a way that I wouldn't necessarily choose. The minute I admit those hurts and my sins and my habits, I accept the reality of them, and I mourn, and God begins to do something in me it's, it's almost like repentance in that way. And that as we repent and turn from our sins, you know, God begins to draw us into his kingdom. We are, we are on that, we're in that doorway to salvation. And it's the same thing when we mourn. It's like that. It's, it's not a repentance per se, but it is a mourning over what's occurred. And God begins to do something very special by his Holy Spirit in that process. God's path is always through it. Our path is often around it, right? If we have something painful, we, we do our best to get around it instead of going through it. There are a lot of different branches in our path. Our path uh, takes us to a lot of places where, well, sometimes we should not go. We're trying to get to a place of comfort, a place of hope, and we're trying to do that as quickly as possible. We're the Sesame Street generation. We, we've got a very short attention span, and we hope that God does because we want to get through the pain part and get right to the comfort part as quickly as we know how. We just don't want to go through the process. We don't want to take any time. We want to get there quick. Because of that, our paths that we would choose often take us to places like, you know, we're looking for comfort and hope, and maybe that takes us to a place like alcohol. I take a drink. 
you know, when I'm feeling off, I'm going to have myself a drink and maybe I'll feel better. That becomes my pathway to comfort. Or it might be whatever drug of choice that you might take, something that makes you feel more comfortable about life. You know, for some people, it's, it's gambling. You know, it's real easy these days. Is uh, You know, here in PA, we, we have opportunities. You don't have to go to Vegas anymore. Uh, what happens in PA is known all over PA, right? As opposed to Vegas. But uh, if you, go, you can go online, you can gamble. It's as it's, it's close as your computer. And you get that little shot of adrenaline when you think you might win something and you start to feel a little better about life. Other people, their path to hope and comfort might be shopping, you know? When they're feeling bad, they go out and they buy something and maybe feel better about their life then. For some people, it's sex and pornography and illicit relationships, getting involved in sexual immorality. Makes you feel that life is a little more exciting, maybe. Or it's entertainment. Or it's self-pity. Or maybe it's control, you know. Some people, they feel a whole lot more comfortable about their life if they can make you feel less comfortable about your life. You know, if they can make you feel bad or feel a little bit small, then somehow they feel like they're more in control. Now, I, I've met people like that. I've worked in situations like that. Maybe for you it's food. You eat to escape. For some people, it's work. You know, you have to achieve something to feel better about yourself. Uh, you know, and we could keep going on and on and on and on down this list here this morning. But, but I want you to write down one word this morning. It's the one word we're talking about here that describes our path to comfort and hope, the one that we would normally choose. You ready for this? It's the word escape. Our normally chosen path would be to escape the discomfort and the pain, wouldn't it? That's our normal chosen path. We try to escape to a place of comfort and hope. We try to get there as quickly as possible. And the problem is this, that all the things that I think would bring me comfort and all those things I think that would help me to escape, they don't really last, do they? They're usually very temporary, or at least after a while they begin to wear off and it gets old. You can see this, uh, you know, in, in some of the... Uh, the younger film stars and some of the younger music stars, you know, they, they, they get to a place where they make an awful lot of money very, very fast. And, and they go kind of wild and they spend it. And, and after a while, it just, it just doesn't seem to do it. And sadly, so many come to a tragic end because of that, trying to get that, that extra kick, that extra more, that extra something out of life. And I think a lot of you have discovered this too. A comfortable life will not always comfort your soul. Will not always take you to a place where you have rest in here. I think you and I need something bigger than that. We need something that only God can give to us. When you read the Beatitudes, you realize that Jesus kind of takes happiness and he turns it upside down. The deepest happiness and blessings seem to come from things that I wouldn't choose for my own life if I had a choice a lot of the time. It's not just a matter of having bad things happen. You know, it, everybody has bad things happen to them. Everybody does. But 
it's a matter of choosing to mourn. Choosing to spend that time before God. Choosing to, well, we're choosing to accept those things that have happened, that we've done, that others have done to us, that have happened because of circumstance. Uh, we, we need to come to a point where we accept that those things happen. That's the reality of it, right? And then to realize that this world that we're in, it really doesn't offer us any hope to heal that stuff. And also acknowledge that we need to look to God for the comfort that only God can give. Amen? So how does it happen? How do we get that kind of comfort? How, how do we get that kind of hope in our lives? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How does God give us comfort and hope? What's his path? Well, I want to talk about three things in the next few minutes here together. Uh, God's path to hope and comfort is not our path. It's not the one that we would always choose. But here's three things that I think are a part of that that are pretty important. First, I think we need to see who God really is. We need to see who God really is. That, that's where it starts. I, I remember years ago I had, uh, had an album. Some of you may know this, this, uh, this band. Uh, Jethro Tull was the name of the band. And, and there was an album cover, and when you opened up the album cover, uh, the lead singer, Ian Anderson, had written on the inside, In the Beginning... Man created God in his own image. Now, some of you might remember that. Uh, I had actually remembered, I had read that like half a dozen times and not seen the reversal until much later. And, and I picked it up after I came to the Lord, and I looked at it and I went, what? <laughs> but, but there's some truth in it, isn't there? We, we are uncomfortable with the God that we seek sometimes. Sometimes we... we look at God and, and we create God in our image. We make God the way that we want him to be. You know, if we're angry at God, we see God as all thunder. Uh, if we want God to overlook a lot of stuff, we see God as only all love and we skip the justice part and we skip other parts of his character. You know, we create God in our own image. We look at him the way that we want him to be. But who is God really? Who is this God? And how do I know that I can trust him to comfort me? Well, I can only do that if I know who he really is. For example, I know that I can trust God to comfort me, but can I trust him if I feel like he's out to condemn me? You ever get that thought? Oh, God's out to get me. He's waiting behind every bush. He's watching to see if I mess up so that he can then say, aha, you messed up. You need to get fixed. You need to repent. We see this vindictive God who wants to condemn. And, and if you've got this feeling in your, in your heart and in your life, and sometimes you can come to church over and over again and you still feel like this, you still feel like, like God is out to condemn you, and, and I want you to know that doesn't come from God. That usually comes from some past preacher, we take the blame, or that 
comes from some really bad family experience that you had or some experience in life, and, and we, we deflect that. We, we kind of present it as if God did that stuff, as if God is out to get us. But that's not who God really is. He's not a condemning God. I think we need to ask ourselves a question. Are we going to trust our feelings? Or are we going to trust the event that changed human history? Because that event happened when Jesus came to earth. And he walked onto this planet. And, and what happened at Easter and the resurrection is all about God telling you, he's not here to condemn you. He's here to save you. He's here to set you free. The Bible says in Romans 8, 34, who will condemn us? Will Christ? No, for he is the one who died for us and came back to life again for us and is sitting at the right hand at the place of highest honor next to God pleading for us there in heaven. Now, I, I totally understand that some of us may feel that sometimes that God is condemning us, but and, and that can have a very powerful effect in, in our lives and how we relate to God. You know, some of us have had fathers who were not, not the most loving at times, who sometimes were condemning or accusing, uh, who were not supportive, and, and we tend to project that on God. But that's not who God is. God doesn't come to condemn us. He didn't send his son to condemn us, but to give us eternal life. Jesus lived this life for you. Jesus went to the cross and died on that cross for you. There's somebody who died for you, who loves you that much, and, and he did that so that you can experience a relationship with him. You can have restored something that was lost in the fall. And that's a real personal relationship with God through Jesus. That could be restored. When it comes to God being out to condemn you, your feelings have really been told a lie, right? I mean, Satan loves to do that. The truth is that Jesus lived his life for you. Jesus died for you. The truth is he was resurrected for you to point out the way. This is where we're going. We're going to heaven. If you come to me, this is where we're going together. I'm not out to condemn you. God is sitting, or Jesus is sitting at God's right hand, and it says that he is pleading for us. Other translations say he is interceding for us. He is praying for us as we go through life. What is God really like? Well, we also know that God is a God of compassion. But you, O oh Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and in faithfulness. That's what God's really like. He's compassionate. If you have hurts, he's compassionate about your hurts. He cares about your habits. He doesn't look at you and say, why haven't you got over that yet? I hear my mom's voice when I say that. <laughs> How come you're not past that? That can't hurt anymore. You only skinned it like five minutes ago. It should be all better by now. God doesn't say stuff like that. He looks at you and he says, I can help you work through this. I'm compassionate, 
I understand what you're walking through. That's our God. He's a compassionate God. Who is this God really? Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.3 says this. God is the Father who is full of mercy and all comfort. Now, it doesn't just say comfort. It says all comfort. That says a lot, doesn't it? That's who God is. He's full of mercy and all comfort. What is God really like? Well, God is also about being a, a, a close part of your everyday life. God wants to be close to you. And he's there to guide you and to care for you. You know, think of the 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no e evil. Why? Thy rod and thy staff. Oh, wait a minute. What, there's a rod in there. Rod is used for punishment sometimes. That's not what it's talking about. That rod is used to defend you and to guide you and to point you to the right place. That shepherd's crook gets us out of trouble. That's God wanting to be close. God wants to be close to you. And he's there to guide you. And, and sometimes he has to say to us, hey, don't go in that direction because it hurts. You're going to get hurt. You know, things are going to go really bad if you take that choice. He loves you that much that he cares. This is the kind of God who loves us. This is the kind of God who comforts us. And that's the kind of God who gives us hope. If I'm going to have any hope, I've got to see who God really is. I've got to see that he doesn't come into my life to make me feel judged or to condemn me, but to let me know that he really cares. Now, if you want to get to a place of hope, you really first have to see who God is. But that's not all. You have to also be honest about a second thing. That second thing is to see who you really are. You know, we see God for who he is, but we have to see who we really are. We, we began to talk about this last week. One of the things that, um, that I have to see about who I really am is that I'm broken. You know, it's not popular to say that today, but, but I am. I am broken. Without God, I really can't be fixed. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. I love that translation i think that's really really good i think that's the nlt for god for all have sinned and fall short of god's glorious standard well i think we all know that we all know i've never met one person who said i've not sinned in my life i don't think i've ever met one person who would say i've never done things in my life that i you know wish i hadn't done we all know there's something in us that's a little bit broken. As much as we know it's true, we try to hide that, don't we? You know, we try to, try to sweep that under the rug. We don't want people to see that. We try to hide the truth. We pretend that it's not there. We cover it over instead of being honest about it. And I don't know about you, but I've spent a whole lot of my life, too much of my life and my time and my energy, just hiding from the simple truth that I and broken. The truth of the matter is that in the end, I am not going to be able to hide from it anyway. See what God's word says about that. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed, 
and hidden that will not be made known. That verse scares the snot out of me. I'm serious. You look at that and you think, oh man, <laughs> everything's going to be revealed. I, I got stuff I don't want to be revealed. I don't want people to see. I don't want God to see it, even though he sees it already. I, I, here's a better paraphrase. The message says, you can't keep your true self hidden forever, but before long you'll be exposed. You can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, the mask will slip and your true face will be known. Ooh. Uh, Eugene Peterson has a great way of just kind of whacking you on the head with a hammer and saying, wake up! <laughs> we spend so much time in our life and energy hiding from the truth of who we really are. We think we're hiding it, but mostly everybody around us, they know who we really are. They have a pretty good idea. They can see. You know, in the end, we're all going to realize that we're all the same, that we've got the same struggles, that we've, we're all broken, that we're all together in this, that we're all one in this. We're all in the same boat. When Jesus reveals to you who you really are, he doesn't do it so you despair. He's not revealing yourself to you so that you are devastated and fall apart. He reveals you to you so you can change. So you can change, you know? It's like we have these sensors in our fingertips that tell us when the stove is hot, tell us when something's cold, you know? Uh, the, the pain that we experience in our bodies is supposed to tell us something, right? When God reveals to us who we are and what we're all about, it's not so that we can kind of fall in a big hole of despair. It's so that we can change and move forward in our lives. God didn't come to condemn you. Jesus came to set you free. God's love is an everlasting love. It doesn't it doesn't ever end. You know, some of you have been through some really bad relationships, some things that have really hurt you. And it's hard to trust other people when you've been through a bad relationship. You know, and, and God is not that kind of person. God is the kind of person who will stay with you. He doesn't run out of steam. He doesn't give up on you. He knows who you are. He knows where you've been. He knows what you do. He knows who you are right in this moment what you're thinking about during the sermon, God knows that, and he loves you anyway. <laughs> when you repent, when you turn from your sin, when you come to Jesus for salvation, things change. This is what God does. God, in his gracious kindness, declares us not guilty. He's done this through Jesus Christ, who has freed us by taking away our sins. You know, those things that would condemn us, those things that would point the finger, those things that cause us shame, that make us feel guilt. As we come to Jesus, as we come to salvation, God says, oh, no, no, I sent my son for that. We got that covered. We got your back. Jesus died for you, and now those sins are gone. Not always the consequences of our sin, 
But the guilt over that sin, the shame over that sin, Jesus wants to take that and set you free. That's, that's the gift. You know, when we talk about grace, that's the gift of grace. Grace. Um, the gift is the relationship that we have with God. The gift is the forgiveness that we experience, this gift of new life. And you know, you can do that anytime. Like right now, if you're th- sitting there and you're thinking about this and you're going, man, I don't know where I am with God. You can just stop and say, God, I ask your forgiveness for my sins. Please come into my life right now and take over because I'm not doing such a good job. We can do that on the spot, anytime. And Jesus will forgive you and take you in and you will be a child of God. Every day of your life, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what somebody says about you, Every single day of your life, you know what the most important truth is? God loves you. God loves you. You are loved by God, the God who makes you, the one who wants to have a relationship with you. You may think that seeing who you really are is about seeing all your failings and your sins and all of that stuff, but it's really about seeing how God sees you. You are loved. Hang on to that. Hang on to that. You know, he's not a a weak God. He's not a God who overlooks everything we do and it's okay as long as we get there in the end. It's all about love. No, no, no. He loves us enough to correct us. He loves us enough to direct us, to take us to the place where we need to go. To say, these are your sins. Now let's do something about it together. Come to me. You know, in life, we, we have to go through the hard part to get to the good part sometimes. That's what the mourning part is all about. I want to deepen my relationship with God, but I have to admit that where I'm trusting myself and trying to do it my own way, it isn't working so well. <laughs> and that might make me feel a little bit bad about myself because I didn't do it well. I've got to go feeling worse. I've got to feel worse in order to feel better. There are a thousand places in life where this is true, that you have to feel worse before it gets better. But the good news, it gets better. There is a better thing on the other side, and if not in this life, in the next for sure. I don't like the morning part. I don't like that. But I do like the comforted part. I do like the hope part. I like the better part. The truth of the matter is sometimes we have to go through grief in order to experience joy. And there's always grief in letting go. Always. But then, then the joy. Then realizing the joy in my relationship with God it, it changes your life. It changed my life. The real joy is what he wants to do in your life, here and all through eternity. You know, if you want to experience God's hope and God's comfort, you've got to see who God really is. You've got to see who you really are. But the last thing is that you've got to see that God can change you. 
And when I say God can change you, you might think, who am I kidding, you know? <laughs> I can't change. I've tried this a hundred times. I've tried this a thousand times, and I keep finding myself back at the same spot. I've disappointed myself. I've disappointed others. I've disappointed God. Who am I kidding? This isn't going to work for me. That comes from a place where you're feeling like everything is on your shoulders, where you feel like you have to do it all. Before I came to Jesus, I, I remember clearly walking into my boss's office and there was a conversation going on about Jesus and I'd been listening to these conversations off and on for several weeks and, and uh, you know, the young minister from local church who was, who was in visiting with Mike, he, he turned and he looked at me and he says, do you believe this stuff? And I said, yes, I believe this. I really believe this. And he said, so what's keeping you from coming to Jesus right now? And I said, well, I, gotta, I got all this stuff in my life I got to change, all these things I got to do. I, I, I got to get rid of this in my life and that. And, you know, he says, no, you don't. That's not what it's all about. Now, I didn't understand at that moment. And it took me a couple more weeks. But a couple of weeks later, by that time, God had been speaking to my heart. And I had a pretty good understanding of what they were saying. And I wanted that. <laughs> Man, if I can get rid of this and I don't have to do it, I want that. Maybe it was the lazy part of me, but, you know, I want that. I want Jesus in my life to do all of that stuff. The idea that I just have to change my own life, that just wears me out. I'll be honest with you, if I had to motivate myself to do these things, like we're talking about for the rest of our lives every day, I'd give up right now. I wouldn't be here this morning. I'd be at home watching Netflix or something, you know? I don't have that kind of motivation in me. I could keep it up for a while, but in the end, I'd wear myself out and quit. So where do I find the power to change? God talks about it. He's got refreshing hope for you. The end of Isaiah chapter 40, or at the beginning, actually, it's a bit, Isaiah 40 starts with, comfort, comfort my people. You know, we're looking for comfort, right, from God. And it's all about how God comforts us. But at the end, here's what he says to finish that part up. Have you never heard or understood, don't you know, that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows faint or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to those who are tired and worn out. Are you tired and worn out sometimes? He offers strength to the weak. Even youth will become exhausted and young men will give up. But those who weigh it on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. It's not on your shoulders. You want to have hope. You need to realize that the power to change is God's power to change. It's not me changing for God. It's God changing me through his power. It's hoping in him. About a week ago, I uh, was driving home from Turkey Hill, and I looked over at the parking lot as I, as I turned to go up King Street, and I looked across the parking lot. There was a tree, and there was an eagle sitting in that tree. And, and 
I knew it was an eagle because eagles are big. <laughs> there is no bird that looks like an eagle. They just, that muscle, that power, it's like there. As soon as you look, it's right there. And the, and the eagle was preening itself, and it didn't seem to mind. I rolled down the car window, and I just sat and watched, you know, and he didn't mind me, and I was totally enjoying watching him. You know, we've got several eagles nesting in the area. There are quite a few nesting up around High Rock, and and they come flying. They've got like a five-mile radius that they tend to cover, and so we see them often. It's amazing. What a powerful bird. Now, to, to switch subjects for a second here, some of you have seen my pictures of hummingbirds that I put up, put up online. You know, I put them up on Facebook. I, I love to kind of set up my camera on the tripod, and I'll sit out there, and I have these blinds that I'll have partially closed, and, and they'll come up at my feeder, which is just, you know, 10 feet away. And I can get some really cool close-up shots of hummingbirds. All that speed frozen in the moment. If you ever watch them, you know, they're always, they never stay still for very long at all. <laughs> it's like, you know, and you can hear them and you're trying to see them. I know they're here somewhere. They're, they're just moving too fast. Do you know a hummingbird is no eagle? A hummingbird burns so many calories by their quick movements that they have to keep moving most of the time. They, they need to feed every 10 or 15 minutes of their life. They consume half their body weight in nectar and insects every day. You know, they're a lot like us. When we're searching for hope, we're going, <laughs> we're going all over the place, and we keep going. One time I looked out, and, and there was this hummingbird sitting right in front of my face, just up on the line that goes out to my workshop, and it was sitting right there, and it was going... <laughs> Man, I'd be doing that too if I had to go that fast. <laughs> and that's what we're like when we're searching for hope. We're trying to find it in all the wrong places. I think there's a country song in that somewhere. God is in the business of changing hummingbirds into eagles. That's what he does. That's God's power. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord. To what? Come on, you know the song. To wait. To wait. You know, when eagles fly, they, they, they can fly up to 10,000 feet of height, 10,000 feet. And, and they don't flap their wings hard. They soar. They catch the currents and they ride those updrafts and they, they just do some beautiful things. And you look at those beautiful little hummingbirds and they rarely go higher than the tree that they're nested in. You know, once they come in, migrate in, they just don't move around a lot. They stay within the confines of a backyard or two, and they, they fly at a, you know, just a reasonable distance. They never really go very far. Here's the truth about you. God has designed your soul to catch that updraft. It's his love. And it's not a matter of trying to find hope. 
It's a matter of saying, God, I need you. I'm not going to get there on my own. I trust you. I trust you moment by moment. I trust you day by day. And as long as I'm trying to do it like the hummingbird, I'm going to be worn out. But the moment I realize that I need you, that's when I feel the updraft of his love. That's when it carries me up and I feel the strength of his power. You get to be the eagle through trusting. And sometimes you get to comfort through mourning. We need to recognize that God and God alone can give you the kind of hope that you've never experienced, that you've been searching for maybe for your whole life. God can give you that. I want to pray. And as we pray, I want to invite you to pray uh, along with me, pray in your heart. Um, it's a simple prayer, but it's a prayer for hope. So that's what I want to pray this morning. Father, instead of trying to hope, I choose to trust you to hope and in hope. I trust that you're a loving father. Whatever I might feel about you, the truth is that you love me enough to die for me, Jesus. I, I trust that you're a loving father. I trust that you love me. Whatever's happened in my life, whatever somebody else has said about me, I trust that you love me. And I trust you to give me strength in my soul. And Father, I trust that you will do this because you have shown me your love in Jesus. And it's so amazing. And so, in Jesus' name, I trust you. In Jesus' name, 